God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in each of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today is the second sermon in our three-part series of three women in the Bible, all sharing the name rooted in the Hebrew name Miriam, which is our English Mary. And last week we met in a new and bigger way Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron. And today we'll engage with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and next week Mary Magdalene. All of these women were chosen by God to play vital major roles in what Christians call our salvation history, which is God's ongoing activity within human history to liberate all people and every living thing from anything that would ever enslave us. Generally, most of us have a limited view of the impact of these three Marys that we'll be meeting together. They were powerful faith examples in their time, and they serve as powerful examples for our faith journey today. It is in part due to patriarchy and the relatively little amount that the Bible has recorded of the details of their lives. Last week we met Miriam, who we learned was not just a sister, but a major prophet. And if you missed that sermon, you can go online to knox.org and hear more. But she was so important that all the Marys in the New Testament are named after Miriam. We'll spend time today with the most famous Mary, the mother of Jesus. I have a good friend in Northern Ireland, the Reverend Donna Quigley, who now lives in a small village in the north part of Ireland. She is the sole Protestant resident of this village. Everyone else is Catholic. And by the way, almost every woman in that small town where I have visited is named Mary. We recall that that part of the world has its bloody history of political strife in the late 1900s. One side of the conflict primarily Catholic, the other primarily Protestant. When I told Donna about this sermon series, she was very excited. She had shared with me a conversation she had recently with a Catholic neighbor. Donna had offered to pray for this woman who was facing some life challenges. And their ideas of prayer differed. And the woman said to Donna, why would you ever pray to Jesus when there's his mother? And hence, this is just a small taste of one of centuries-long debates about Mary and her rightful place in our Christian theology. While some argue that Catholics hold her in too high esteem, others argue that Protestants hold her with much too little. As residents of Cincinnati here with its German Catholic roots and the congregants here at Knox where you all share pews with those rooted deeply in Catholicism and those rooted deeply in Protestantism, perhaps you have had wonderings, perhaps you have had similar conversations about this. Maybe like me, a Protestant Lutheran from the country in Michigan, you grew up with very limited understanding of Mary. Maybe she was sequestered in the imaginations of your faith solely to the nativity scenes in the churches at Christmas. 
With every pageant showing her kneeling with baby Jesus at the manger, Joseph hovering nearby, hay and straw strewn around, kids dressed up like sheep and donkeys or angels. But that's as far as many Christians ever get with the biblical knowledge of Mary and her role in the world. So I'd like to go deeper and broader together, and we'll do so with the help of the Reverend Alice Connor, who's a Cincinnati-based theologian and author and pastor. We'll use her book entitled Fierce, about women's stories in the Bible. Some of this history and context will be familiar to many of you. Some will be brand new. Some may not all agree with some of this, and that, of course, is okay. We know this is a brave space where we journey together, trusting the Spirit gives us what we need each time we gather. Surely, Mary, to most of us, is only mother, mother of God. The early Christians named her Theotokos, which literally means God-bearer. Connor writes, some call her the greatest mother who ever lived, at the same time, an unwed teen mom. We say she was perpetually a virgin and that she had several more kids after Jesus. We say Mary is meek and mild. Mary is accepting of what comes. We usually don't think of her in the vein of famous prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah or Miriam. Those folks, after all, had big words to say to people, but Mary? She's just a mom, isn't she? Well, far from it, as the Reverend Connor takes us back to two ideas of Mary's origins. Those with a lot of Catholic education know these very well. One theory of her beginning is called the Immaculate Conception. The idea is that the doctrine of original sin, meaning the sin of Adam and Eve, has befallen on all of us simply because we were born. Our parents had sex, we were born. We are sinful. Well, to get around that idea that Jesus could be sinful, and therefore Mary could be sinful, they had to think of a way creatively, divinely, how Mary might not be sinful after all. So the, in, 19, in 1854, Pope Pius IX declared the Immaculate Conception that Mary, too, was not born, but given into the world by God, and therefore without sin. If Jesus, made God, if Jesus was made from God and Mary, uh, then we had to do something about Mary's contribution for the potential for that sin. The second story of Mary's beginning after the Immaculate Conception is known as the Annunciation. Mary was not some random woman whom God made pregnant. As we heard in the scripture today, through the angel Gabriel, Mary was chosen. And Reverend Connor helps us to imagine why. Maybe simply because she did not run away. Maybe because she pushed back and tried to understand but Mary settled into the moment and consented to being the caretaker of the divine baby. Connor notes that this is important because no matter what arguments we make about God's all-powerfulness 
or about the theory of predestination, God wants us to choose God. As Richard Rohr says, God will never force God's self upon us, but always wait to be chosen and invited. God, in the guise of the angel Gabriel, said, Mary, do you want this baby? And she said, yes, God. Here I am. Let it be according to your word. This story of the visit of angel Gabriel with Mary is maybe perhaps one of the most familiar stories of the Bible. And while it's essentially a birth announcement story, it fits a different form of biblical writing that we call the call of the prophet, which unfolds like this. There's an encounter between human and divine, sometimes in the form of an angel or a burning bush, The divine extends a call to do something different, something difficult. The human objects to the call, resisting, usually deeming oneself unworthy. Here we hear Mary say, How can this be? For I am a virgin. And we remember the prophet Jonah just simply runs in the opposite direction. But God would catch up with Jonah again. And then Mary ponders these things in her heart. And finally, the person is reassured by the divine and given a sign. And this is precisely what happens with Mary. Like Moses and Gideon and Isaiah and Miriam before her, Mary is called by God to prophetic action, to play a major role in our salvation history. The second reading we heard, again, was the Magnificat, which is the Latin for magnify. It's Mary's song of praise when she is understanding a little bit more what this pregnancy means, how God has favored her. One of my seminary professors, theologian Dan Migliori, writes an essay about this He underscores what John Calvin, one of the forefathers of our faith tradition, preached about the Magnificat. He says, Mary declares that she possesses no virtue that would account for God's favor to her. She is small, she is poor, she is of lowly estate, yet God reaches out to her. Mary avoids in her song of praise any and all self-glorification and gives it all to God. And in so doing, her song is revolutionary. It's countercultural to the extreme, to the values of the world then and now. Migliori writes, Mary's song is a powerful expression of God's solidarity with the poor and the weak. She bears witness to the justice and mercy of God. While it would be a mistake to think of the poor as inherently more virtuous than others, it is nevertheless true that the theme of God's special concern for the poor runs throughout the entire Bible. Along with the Immaculate Conception, there's another church doctrine called the Assumption, which gives us another name for Mary as the Queen of Heaven, 
The doctrine that Mary did not die and decay, but she was assumed into heaven at the end of her earthly journey and now sits at God's right hand as the queen. And hence we have much art depicting her in royal garb and wearing a crown. And Migliori helps us imagine of ourselves. By material standards on earth, we are not the poor and the oppressed for the most part here this morning. And perhaps those of us who are not the poor and the oppressed are more comfortable with Mary up in heaven wearing a crown and wearing royal robes than we are of what Mary the prophet sings so boldly about, about God's solidarity with the poor and the downtrodden. So here, our picture of Mary, mother of Jesus, broadens. If we have only ever thought of her as meek and mild, the young virgin mom, relatively absent from the Bible until Jesus is much older, her song of praise reveals her true character. Claire Peterson is a staff member and writer for the Jesuit Order of the Catholics, and she lifts up this thought. First to the angel Gabe, Gabriel, Mary says, yes. And this yes, she says, was far from passive. It was very active, and it was derived from her bold meekness. In the song, The Magnificat, we learn Mary is audacious, firmly grounded. The word ground, rooted in the Latin for humus, meaning humble. She was humble of herself faithful to God, and to understand what kind of meekness Mary had. Hear this excerpt from a poem by Mary Carr. Picture a great stallion at full gallop in a meadow, who, at his master's voice, seized up to a stunned but instant halt, with the strain of holding that great power in check, the muscles along the arched neck keep eddying, and only the velvet ears prick forward, awaiting the next order. I wonder how many times throughout Mary's life she was like this stallion, muscles strained, yet waiting for God's next direction, to which she continued to say time and again, here I am, let it be. God, let it be. Mary, the mother, the prophet, fiercely humble, enthusiastically consenting to God, is who we meet as we now fast forward to Jesus in his adult life, who has just begun his public ministry. Mary and Jesus and the disciples are together at a wedding feast in Cana, in the land of Galilee. Imagine Mary and Jesus seated at the banquet table. Mary, ever aware and discerning and wise, discovers that the hosts have run out of wine. She turns to tell Jesus. She doesn't ask Jesus to fix it, as if she's entirely sure that he even could. But we get a sense that throughout the years, both Mary and her son Jesus have grown and are still growing in this scene and the other understanding of just who Jesus is 
as the Son of God. They have no wine, Mary says. Jesus responds, what concern is that to you and to me? My time has not yet come. Mary listens and hears and ponders this in her heart. And you can see her eyes widen. A slight smile forms on her mouth as she grows in even more understanding of who her son is. She hears in Jesus' words a knowing that God will take care of this through Jesus, even if he may not yet have all the details. In this moment, imagine a shift in Mary as she moves from mother of Jesus to disciple of Jesus, who then leads other disciples in following after her son. Assured, Mary turns to the party servants and simply says, do whatever he tells you. In other words, again, we hear Mary say, let it be with us according to Jesus' word, which Mary knew more each day was God's word. Mary, the leader of this event, the protagonist of this story that many of us know so well, moves the divine plan forward because she's enthusiastically consenting and paying attention. She waits and watches and eventually witnesses Jesus' miraculous turning of water into wine, revealing his glory. And as the Gospel of John reports, many disciples believed in him. Mary is prophet and disciple, but first and last, she will continue to be mother. I invite you, if you have it, to take your bulletin and turn to the front cover. This is Vincent van Gogh's rendition of Pieta. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is holding her son Jesus in her lap. She's experiencing perhaps the biggest horror any parent can imagine, the death of her child. And just as she held his newborn body at his birth, she now holds his battered and crucified body at his death. See in this painting her love, her pain, and her faithfulness. Look at her face which looks down at her son's body as the same time she's opening her right hand as if to give an offering, as if she is releasing her son's body into God's eternal care, boldly believing that this is not the end of the story, trusting what God told her through the angel Gabriel that nothing will be impossible with God, that Jesus would reign with God forever. And then look at her left hand, with a mingling of faith and doubt, perhaps. Mary reaches for God's hand as a disciple, a prophet, one still called to sing and act for God's love and truth and justice, still desiring to follow 
as her heart says, Here I am, Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Let it be. And now I invite you to take a moment to contemplate your own life. As Mary often contemplated and pondered the things of God, how has God invited you to participate in our salvation history? Where have you experienced yourself saying, Here I am, God, let it be with me, according to your word? Maybe you have volunteered with Interfaith Hospitality Network to walk alongside the poor and the oppressed that Mary sang about. And in those moments, you have said, let it be, God, with me. Maybe you've been a Sunday school teacher this past year or for many years. That was you saying, here I am, God, let it be. How do you care for those in your family or strangers that you have come across who are so desperately in some kind of need? How has God invited you to open your hand and offer as you say, let it be with me, God? The spirit of Mary is alive and well in our faith lives today, in our worship, through this body of Christ, Knox Church, and God is still on the move through the Holy Spirit, maybe through angels we've encountered, calling us into this audacious obedience, inviting us to say, God, I trust you, so let it be. Let it be. Thanks be to God. Amen.